Hello, this is Mary Christopher, and this is Storytime. We are in the middle of Chapter 7 of The Sword in the Stone. And the reason that we're in the middle of Chapter 7 is because the chapters, this particular chapter is very long. So I only read about, about half of it last week. And in addition to that, um, I need to move uh, story time to Monday night. So this is Monday, um, January the 4th, and we're in the middle of Chapter 7, in which Merlin has just transported himself and Arthur, known as the Wart, into the forest so that they can meet up with King Pellinor because Arthur was wanting more training as a knight, even though he knew he was slated to be the squire to Kay. Anyway, it's in the story. Okay, so... We're in the middle of chapter seven, and here we go. They were lying under a beech tree in the forest sauvage. Here we are, said Merlin, get up and dust your clothes. And there, I think, continued the magician, in a tone of satisfaction because his spells had worked for once without a hitch, is your friend King Pellinor, pricking toward us o'er the plain. Hello, hello, cried King Pellinor, popping his visor up and down. It's the young boy with the feather bed, isn't it? I say, what? Yes, it is, said the wart, and I'm very glad to see you. Did you manage to catch the beast? No, said King Pellinor, didn't catch the beast. Oh, do come here, you bratchet, and leave that bush alone. Tush, tush, naughty, naughty. She runs riot, you know. Very keen on rabbits. I tell you, there's nothing in it, you beastly dog. Cha, cha, leave it, leave it. Oh, do come to heel, like I tell you. She never does come to heel, he added. At this, the dog put a cock pheasant pulled. At this, the dog put a cock pheasant out of the bush, which rocketed off with a tremendous clatter, and the dog became so excited that it ran round its master three or four times at the end of its rope, panting hoarsely, as if it had asthma. King Pellinor's horse stood patiently while the rope was wound round its legs, and Merlin and the wart had to catch the bratchet and unwind it before the conversation could go on. I say, said King Pellinor, thank you very much, I must say. Won't you introduce me to your friend, what? This is my tutor, Merlin, a great magician. How do you do, said the king. 
always like to meet magicians. In fact, I always like to meet anybody. It passes the time away. What? On a quest. Hail, said Merlin in his most mysterious manner. Hail, replied the king, anxious to make a good impression. They shook hands. Did you say hail, inquired the king, looking about him nervously. I thought it was going to be fine myself. He meant, how do you do, explained the word. Ah, yes, how do you do? They shook hands again. Good afternoon, said King Pellinore. What do you think the weather looks like now? I think it looks like an anti-cyclone. Ah, yes, said the king, an anti-cyclone. Well, I suppose I ought to be getting along. At this, the king trembled very much, opened and shut his visor several times, coughed, wove his reins into a knot, exclaimed, I beg your pardon, and showed signs of cantering away. He is a white magician, said the wart. You need not be afraid of him. He is my best friend, your majesty, and in any case, he generally gets his spells muddled up. Ah, yes, said King Pellinore, a white magician. What? How small the world is, is it not? How de do? Hail, said Merlin. Hail, said King Pellinore. They shook hands for the third time. I should not go away, said the wizard, if I were you. Sir Grummore Grummersome is on the way to challenge you to a joust. No, you don't say. What? Sir, what you may call it, coming here to challenge me to a joust? Assuredly. Good handicap man? I should think it would be an even match. Well, I must say, exclaimed the king, it never hails, but it pours. Hail, said Merlin. Hail, said King Pellinore. Hail, said the wart. Now, I really won't shake hands with anybody else, announced the monarch. We must assume that we have all met before. Sir Grummore is... Is Sir Grummore really coming? inquired the wart, hastily changing the subject, to challenge King Pellinore to a battle. Look yonder, said Merlin, and both of them looked in the direction of his outstretched finger. Sir Grummore Grummersome was cantering up the clearing in full panoply of war. Instead of his ordinary helmet with a visor, he was wearing the proper tilting helm, which looked like a large coal shuttle. And as he cantered, he clanged. He was singing his old school song. We'll tilt together steady from crumper to pole, and nothing in life shall savor 
our love for the dear old coal. Follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up, till the shield ring again and again with the clanks of the clanky true men. Goodness, exclaimed King Pellinore, it's about two months since I had a proper tilt, and last winter they put me up to eighteen. That was when they had the new handicaps. Sir Grummore had arrived while he was speaking and had recognized the wart. Morning, said Sir Grummore. You're Hector's boy, ain't you? And who's that chap in the comic hat? That is my tutor, said the wart hurriedly. Merlin, the magician. Sir Grummore looked at Merlin. Magicians were considered rather middle class by the true jousting set in those days. Anne said distantly, Ah, a magician. How do you do? And this is King Pellinore, said the wart. Sir Grummore, Grummersome, King Pellinore. How do you do? inquired Sir Grummore. Hail, said King Pellinore. No, I mean, I mean, it won't hail, will it? Nice day, said Sir Grummore. Yes, it is nice, isn't it? What? Been questing today? Oh, yes, thank you. Always am questing, you know, after the questing beast. Interesting job, that. Very. Yes, it is interesting. Would you like to see some fumets? By Jove, yes. Like to see some fumets. I have some better ones at home, but these are quite good, really. Bless my soul. So these are her fumets. Yes, these are her fumets. Interesting fumets. Yes, they are interesting, aren't they? Only you get tired of them, added King Pellinore. Well, well, it's a fine day, isn't it? Yes, it is rather fine. Suppose we'd better have a joust, eh? What? Yes, I suppose we had better, sing, said King Pellinore. Really? What shall we have it for? Oh, the usual thing, I suppose. Would one of you kindly help me on with my helm? They all three had to help him on eventually, for what with the unscrewing of screws and the easing of nuts and bolts which the king had clumsily set on the wrong thread when getting up in a hurry that morning, it was quite a feat of engineering to get him out of his helmet and into his helm. The helm was an enormous thing, like an, like an oil drum, padded inside with two thicknesses of leather and three inches of straw. As soon as they were ready, the two knights stationed themselves at each end of the clearing and then advanced to meet in the middle. Fair knight, said King Pellinore, I pray thee, tell me thy name. 
That me regards, replied Sir Grammore, using the proper formula. That is uncourteously said, said King Pellinore. What? For no knight nay, nay dreadeth for to speak his name openly, but for some reason of shame. Be that as it may, I choose that thou shalt not know my name as at this time for no asking. Then you must stay and joust with me, false knight. Haven't you got that wrong, Pellinore? inquired Sir Grammore. I believe it ought to be thou shalt. Oh, I'm sorry, Sir Grammore. Yes, so it should, of course. Then thou shalt stay and joust with me, false knight. Without further words, the two gentlemen retreated to the opposite ends of the clearing, futured their spears, and prepared to hurl together in the preliminary charge. I think we had better climb this tree, said Merlin. You never know what will happen in a joust like this. They climbed up the big beach, which had easy branches sticking out in all directions, and the wart stationed himself toward the end of a smooth bow, about 15 feet up, where he could get a good view. Nothing is so comfortable to sit in as a beach. To be able to picture the terrible battle which now took place, there is one thing which ought to be known. A knight in his full armor of those days, or at any rate during the heaviest days of armor, was generally carrying as much or more than his own weight in metal. He often weighed no less than 22 stones, stone, and sometimes as much as 25. This meant that his horse had to be a slow and enormous weight carrier, like the farm horse of today, and that his own movements were so hampered by his burden of iron and padding that they were toned down into slow motion, as on the cinema. They're off, cried the wart, holding his breath with excitement. Slowly and majestically, the ponderous horses lumbered into a walk. The spears, which had been pointing in the air, bowed to a horizontal line and pointed at each other. King Pellinore and Sir Grummore could be seen to be thumping their horses' sides with their heels for all they were worth. And in a few minutes, the splendid animals had shambled into an earth-shaking imitation of a trot. Clank, rum, rumble, thump, thump, went the horses. And now the two knights were flapping their elbows and legs in unison, showing a good deal of daylight at their seats. There was a change in tempo, and Sir Grummore's horse could be definitely seen to be cantering. In another minute, King Pellinore's was doing so too. It was a terrible spectacle. 
Oh, dear, exclaimed the wart, feeling ashamed that his bloodthirstiness had been responsible for making these two knights joust before him. Do you think they will kill each other? Dangerous sport, said Merlin, shaking his head. Now, cried the wart, with a blood-curdling beat of iron hooves, the mighty equestrians came together. Their spears wavered for a moment within a few inches of each other's helms. Each had chosen the difficult point stroke, and then they were galloping off in opposite directions. Sir Grummore drove his spear deep into the beech tree where they were sitting and stopped dead. King Pellinore, who had been running away, who had been run away with, vanished altogether behind his back. Is it safe to look? inquired the wart, who had shut his eyes at the critical moment. Quite safe, said Merlin. It will take them some time to get back in position. Whoa, I say, whoa, cried King Pellinore in muffled and distant tones, far away among the gorse bushes. Hi, Pellinore, hi, shouted Sir Grummore. Come back, my dear fella. I'm over here. There was a long pause while the communicated stations of the two knights readjusted themselves. And then King Pellinore was at the opposite end from that at which he had started while Sir Grummore faced him from his original position. Traitor knight, cried Sir Grummore, yield, recant. What? They futured their spears again and thundered into the charge. Oh, said the wart, I hope they don't hurt themselves. But the two mounts were patiently blundering together, and the two knights had simultaneously decided on the sweeping stroke. Each held his spear at right angles toward the left, and before the wart could say anything further, there was a terrific yet melodious thump. Clang went the armor, like a motor omnibus in a collision with a smithy. And the jousters were sitting side by side on the green sward, while their horses cantered off in opposite directions. A splendid fall, said Merlin. The two horses pulled themselves up, their duty done, and began resignedly to eat the sword. King Pellinore and Sir Grummore sat, looking straight before them, each with the other's spear clasped, hopefully under his arm. Well, said the wart, what a bump. They both seem to be all right so far. Sir Grummore and King Pellinore laboriously got up. Defend thee, cried King Pellinore. God save thee, cried Sir Grummore. With this they drew their swords and rushed together with such ferocity that each, after dealing the other a dent on the helm, sat down suddenly, 
backwards. Bah! cried King Pellinor. Boof! cried Sir Grimoire, also sitting down. Mercy! exclaimed the ward. What a combat! The knights had now lost their tempers, and the battle was joined in earnest. It did not matter much, however, for they were so encased in metal that they could not do each other much damage. It took them so long to get up, and the dealing of a blow when you weighed the eighth part of a ton <laughs> was such a cumbrous business that every stage of the contest could be marked and pondered. In the first stage, King Pellinor and Sir Grummore stood opposite each other for about half an hour <laughs> and walloped each other on the helm. There was only opportunity for one blow at a time. So they moved, they more or less took it in turns. King Pellinor striking while Sir Grummore was recovering and vice versa. <laughs> At first, if either of them dropped his sword or got it stuck in the ground, the other put in two or three extra blows while he was patiently fumbling for it or trying to tug it out. Later, they fell into the rhythm of the thing more perfectly, like the toy mechanical people who saw wood on Christmas trees. Eventually, the exercise and the monotony restored their good humor, and they began to get bored. The second stage was introduced as a change by common consent. Sir Grummore stumped off to one end of the clearing, while King Pellinor plodded off to the other. Then they turned round and swayed backward and forward once or twice in order to get their weight on their toes. When they leaned forward, they had to run forward to keep up with their weight. And if they leaned too far backward, they fell down. <laughs> so even walking was complicated. When they had got their weight properly distributed in front of them so that they were just off their balance, each broke into a trot to keep up with himself. They hurtled together as it had been as it had been two boars. They met in the middle, breast to breast, with a noise of shipwreck and great bells tolling, and both, bouncing off, fell breathless onto their backs. They lay thus <clears throat> for a few minutes, panting. Then they slowly began to heave themselves to their feet, and it was obvious they had lost their tempers once again. King Pellinor had not only lost his temper, but he seemed to have been a bit astonished by the impact. He got up, facing the wrong way, and could not find Sir Grummore. There was some excuse for this, since he had only a slit to peep through and that was three inches away from his eye, owing to the padding of straw. But he looked muddled as well. Perhaps he had broken his spectacles. Sir Grummore was quick to seize his advantage. 
Take that, cried Sir Grumwort, giving the unfortunate monarch a two-handed swipe on the knob as he was slowly turning his head from side to side, peering in the opposite direction. King Pellinore turned round morosely, but his opponent had been too quick for him. He had ambled round so that he was still behind the king and now gave him another terrific blow in the same place. Where are you? asked King Pellinore. Here, cried Sir Grummore, giving him another whack. The poor king turned himself round as nimbly as possible, but Sir Grummore had given him the slip again. Tally-ho, back, shouted Sir Grummore with another wallop. I think you're a cad, said the king. Wallop, replied Sir Grummore, doing it. What with the preliminary crash, the repeated blows on the back of his head, and the puzzling nature of his opponent, King Pellinore could now be seen to be visibly troubled in his brains. He swayed backward and forward under the hail of blows which were administered, feebly wagged his arms, and feebly wagged his arms. Poor king, said the wart, I wish you would not hit him so. As if in answer to his wishes, Sir Grummore paused in his labors. Do you want packs? asked Sir Grummore. King Pellinore made no answer. Sir Grummore favored him with another whack and said, If you don't say Pax, I shall cut your head off. I won't, said the king. Wang! went the sword on the top of his head. Wang! it went again. Wang! for the third time. Pax! said King Pellinore, mumbling rather. Then, just as Sir Grummore was relaxing with the fruits of victory, he swung round upon him, shouted non at the top of his voice, and gave him a good push in the middle of the chest. Sir Grummore fell over backwards. Well, exclaimed the wart, what a cheat. I would not have thought it of him. King Pellinore hurriedly sat on his victim's chest, <laughs> thus increasing the weight upon him to a quarter of a ton and making it quite impossible for him to move, and began to undo Sir Grummore's helm. You said Pax, I said Pax non, under my breath. It's a swindle, it's not. You're a cad. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I said, Pax, non. You said, Pax. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. <sighs> By this time, Sir Grummore's helm was unlaced, and they could see his bare head glaring at King Pellinore, quite purple in the face. Yield thee, recreant. Shant said Sir Grummore. You've got to yield or I shall cut off your head. Cut it off then. 
Oh, come on, said the king. You know you have to heal have to yield when your helm is off. Fain I Well, I shall just cut your head off. I don't care. The king waved his sword mincingly in the air. Go on, said King Grumor, I dare you to. Oh, the king lowered his sword and said, Oh, I say, do yield, please. You yield, said Sir Grumor. But I can't yield. I'm on top of you after all. Am I not? What? Well, I have feigned yielding. Oh, come on, Grummore. I do think you are a cad not to yield. You know very well I can't cut your head off. I would not yield to a cheat who started fighting after he said, Pax. I'm not a cheat. You are a cheat. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Very well, said King Pellinor. You can jolly well get up and put on your helm, and we will have a fight. I won't be called a cheat for anybody. Cheat, said Sir Grimoire. They stood up and fumbled together with the helm, hissing, No, I'm not. Yes, you are, until it was safely on. Then they retreated to opposite ends of the clearing got their weight upon their toes and came rumbling and thundering together like two runaway trams. Unfortunately, they were now so cross that they had both ceased to be vigilant, and in the fury of the moment they missed each other altogether. The momentum of their armor was too great for them to stop till they had passed each other handsomely and then they maneuvered about in such a manner that neither happened to come within the other's range of vision. It was funny watching them because King Pellinor, having already been caught from behind once, was continually spinning round to look behind him. And Sir Grummore, having used the stratagem himself, was doing the same thing. Thus they wandered for some five minutes, standing still, listening, clanking, crouching, creeping, peering, walking on tiptoe, and occasionally making a chance to swipe behind their backs. Once they were standing within a few feet of each other, back to back, only to stalk off in opposite directions with infinite precaution. And once... King Pellinor did hit Sir Grummore with one of his back strokes, but they both immediately spun round so often that they became giddy and mislaid each other afresh. After five minutes, Sir Grummore said, All right, Pellinor, it's no use hiding. I can see where you are. I'm not hiding, exclaimed King Pellinor indignantly. Where am I? They discovered each other and went up close together, face to face. Cad, said Sir Grimoire. Yeah, said King Pellinor. 
They turned round and marched off to their corners, seething with indignation. Swindler, called Sir Grumore. Beastly bully, shouted King Pellinore. With this, they summoned all their energies together for one last decisive encounter. Leaned forward, lowered their heads like two billy goats, and positively sprinted together for the final blow. Alas, their aim was poor. They missed each other by about five yards, passed at full steam doing at least eight knots, like ships that pass in the night but speak not to each other in passing, and hurtled onward to their doom. <laughs> Both knights began waving their arms like windmills, anti-clockwise, in the vain effort to slow up. Both continued with undiminished speed. Then Sir Grummore rammed his head against the beach in which the wart was sitting, and King Pellinore collided with a chestnut on the other side of the clearing. The trees shook, the forest rang. Blackbirds and squirrels cursed, and wood pigeons flew out of their leafy perches half a mile away. The two knights stood to attention while one could count to three. Then, with a last unanimous, melodious clank, they both fell prostrate on the fatal sword. Stunned, said Merlin, I should think. Oh, dear, said the wart. Ought we get down and help them? We could pour water on their heads, said Merlin reflectively, if there was any water. But I don't suppose they would thank us for making their armor rusty. They will be all right. Besides, it is time that we were home. But they might be dead. They are not dead, I know. In a moment or two, they will come round and go off home to dinner. Poor King Pellinore has not got a home. Then Sir Grummore will invite him to stay the night. They will be best of friends when they come to. They always are. Do you think so? My dear boy, I know so. Shut your eyes and we will be off. The wart gave in to Merlin's superior knowledge. Do you think, he asked, with his eyes shut, that Sir Grummore has a feather bed? Probably. Good, said the wart. That will be nice for King Pellinore, even if he was stunned. The Latin words were spoken and the secret passes made. The funnel of whistling noise and space received them. In two seconds, they were lying back under the grandstand, and the sergeant's voice was calling from the opposite side of the tilting ground. Naw then, Master Art, naw then, you've been a snoozing there long enough. Come out into the sunlight here with Master K. One, two, one, two and see some real tilting. 
And that was the end of chapter 7. And sometime during this week, I will read chapter 8. We need to catch up with ourselves a little bit. Because there are a lot of chapters. Well, I hope you enjoyed that great tilting event. We will we'll read another chapter, or at least half of one, later this week. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Take good care of yourself, and thank you for listening.